Today's episode is sponsored by By Heart, which is an infant nutrition company built from the ground up to deliver real innovation on behalf of babies and parents. Their mission is simple, make the best formula in the world. In our house, we never skim on family time together on the weekends. Instead of racing around crazy, we prioritize time at home, time to relax, time to do fun, crazy things that we wouldn't have ordinarily. And you know who else doesn't skim? By heart. By heart is the only American-made infant formula with globally sourced ingredients to use organic, grass-fed whole milk without a drop of skim. Whole milk is full of healthy fats like naturally occurring MFGM, which play an important role in baby's brain development and growth. Are you curious about ByHeart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com slash podcast with codename Zibby20 for a limited time. Hi, this is Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. I'm also the host of Moms Don't Have Time to Lose Weight, and I'm the editor of the anthology, which you should run out and buy, called Moms Don't Have Time to, a quarantine anthology. All proceeds of that book go to COVID-19 vaccine research. And I'm the editor-in-chief of Moms Don't Have Time to Write, a new publication on Medium, and we're accepting submissions, so please send your personal essays there. And if all that isn't enough, you can follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens, and my website is zibbyowens.com. Okay, now back to this amazing podcast. Emily Giffen is the author of The Lies That Bind. She is a Chicago native and graduated summa cum laude from Wake Forest University and the University of Virginia School of Law. After law school, she moved to Manhattan and practiced litigation at a large firm for several years while she paid back her school loans, wrote a novel in her very limited spare time, and dreamed of becoming a writer. Despite the rejection of her first manuscript, Emily persisted, retiring from the legal profession and moving to London to pursue her dreams full-time, which we talk about in this episode. It was there that she began writing Something Borrowed, 2004, a story of a young woman who, upon turning 30, finally learned to take a risk and follow her heart. One year later, her own gamble paid off as she completed the manuscript, landed an agent, and signed a two-book deal on both sides of the Atlantic. The following summer, Something Borrowed hailed his heartbreakingly honest debut with dead-on dialogue, real-life complexity, and genuine warmth became a surprise sensation, and Giffen vowed never to practice law again. Dubbed a modern-day Jane Austen by Vanity Fair and a dependably down-to-earth storyteller by the New York Times, she has since written eight more New York Times bestsellers including Something Blue in 2005, Baby Proof 2006, Love the One You're With 2008, Heart of the Matter 2010, Where We Belong 2012, The One and Only 2014, First Comes Love 2016, and All We Ever Wanted 2018. All of her novels, filled with endearingly flawed characters and emotional complexity, have resonated deeply with both critics and readers around the world, achieving bestseller status in a number of countries, including the United States. Canada, UK, France, Brazil, and Poland. The books have been translated into 31 languages with over 11 million copies sold worldwide. In addition, five of her novels have been optioned for the big screen, are in various stages of development. The first, Something Borrowed, hit theaters in May 2011, starring Kate Hudson, Jennifer Goodwin, and John Krasinski. Emily now resides with her husband and three children in Atlanta. Her 10th novel, The Lies That Bind, was released on June 2nd, 2020. Welcome, Emily. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thank you so much for having me. It's a real pleasure. 
Okay. So, so much to talk about. Can we start by talking about your most recent book, which is so good. I am like obsessed with these characters still. Oh my gosh. Like, I feel like I am this girl in this book. And anyway, tell listeners what it's about and then we can talk more about it. Well, thank you so much, by the way. I like thinking of you sharing some things in common with our heroine, Cecily. Yeah, the book is about a, a young reporter and she's in her 20s. She moves to New York from the Midwest and you know, she's trying to establish herself and, and her career. And she breaks up with a guy and is, is sort of, you know, not really sure what her life is going to be and what it's looking like when she meets this other guy and falls madly in love with him only to discover that she there's a lot of mystery to him. So she wasn't she isn't really sure what he's all about. And so the book is really about uncovering, trying to figure out who this guy is, who he was, who he is, uh, <laughs> spoilers. And, and, and so doing, you know, trying to figure out who she is, you know, because I think a lot of what we do in relationships is we get to know people, we get to know ourselves as well. So um, she ends up really trying to solve some mysteries about herself as well. Wow. Well, I mean, part of the reason I related is I was in my 20s on 9-11. I was right there. I lost my best friend. She was worked in the North Tower. So I was like I'm posting so those signs, like the ones of Grant. I mean, but all your references wow. like took me back in a way that I hadn't had before. Like, like having Dido on the first page of your book, I was like, oh my gosh, like I thought that was like our song. Do you know what I mean? And I eventually like went to a Dino yeah. concert after, and it was like this. Oh, you did? Test. Yes. It was at the beacon on the Upper West Side, the Beekman, the beacon. Anyway. Yeah. 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 But you have like all these cultural. I saw Tracy Chapman there. You saw Tracy Chapman? I saw Tracy Chapman there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we really shared a time and a place, you, you and I. And so were you, you must've been there, right? Or... I was, I was actually, I was an attorney. I worked in the MetLife building and I practiced law for five years and so in that sense, I could really sort of relate to Cecily. I was in my 20s, late, late 20s. And I had quit my job as a lawyer to, I'd written a book. It took me five years because I was practicing law. So it took me like five years, ultimately was rejected. And I decided in really the summer of 2001 that I was going to quit, you know, my job as a lawyer, leave my law firm and go try to write another book. You know, if I had stayed at my firm, I knew it was going to take me another five years or more to write another one because of, you know, the, the amount of time that you log as a young associate at a New York City law firm. Although I managed to write some of that first book while I was, you know, supposed to be billing GE and Philip Morris and all these other clients. I'd be working on my manuscript. But anyway, ultimately it was rejected. And so I decided I was going to quit my job. And then move to London and try again and write another, you know, write another book. So my flight was actually, it was really crazy timing. Zibby, it was September 16th, 2001. So my going away party was like on that, that Saturday night, which I guess is, was that the ninth or the eighth? I'm trying to do the math on that, but the eight, that, that weekend. And, you know, my last day of work was whatever the Friday before the 11th was. So like the sixth or seventh. And my flight was on the 16th. And so obviously no flights went out on the 12th, 13th, 14th, 15th. The 16th was the first day they let, you know, they let flights go and had international flights. So it was one of the very first international flights. And as I, you know, boarded that plane, of course, you know, it was terrifying. Everyone was terrified. We were all sort of silent. But on top of it, I wasn't just, you know, flying somewhere for, for work or for 
you know, a vacation. I was, I was moving and I was leaving the city. So I felt incredibly conflicted and, and, and almost guilty. I mean, you know, rationally, I knew that, that nobody, you know, you know, sure. My friends were going to miss me or whatever, but New York didn't need me. New York doesn't need any one person, but I still felt this like sense of guilt that I was flying out of there, leaving my country, leaving my city. You know, you could still see smoke at that point, you know, ground zero as you like took off. And so it was a very bizarre time. And when I got to London, I just really threw myself into the writing of the book. I think we all escape, you know, these things in in different ways to the extent we can. I I knew some, some people too. I didn't have a best friend like you. I'm so sorry for your loss. I mean, I can't imagine just having known a few people what it would have been like to actually be the person in charge of sort of those placards that people were hanging and some just, I'm so sorry for you and so many others, but yeah, it was just, for me, it was an escape. So I started writing something borrowed, which in that, that fall, so fall of 2001, September of 2001, I started writing that book. And, you know, one of the themes that of, of that first book of something borrowed, and also I think the lies that bind is, is, is that feel, feeling of like being in your late twenties and trying to figure out who you are and what you want. And sometimes we look for that in a relationship. I mean, we can do that at all, in all ages. You know, I was about to say we make that mistake at all ages. because I think, <laughs> I think in many ways it, it is a, it is a mistake to, you know, try to find your identity in a relationship and have your life path kind of revolve around that. But there are times when that does work. So I shouldn't just, I shouldn't be overly simplistic about that. But for me, it was, you know, I was about to turn 30. I was leaving a career that I did not like and that I was not fulfilled by and trying to write this book so I could relate to Rachel and something borrowed on, on in those ways. And I'm, I think Cecily, it, it was the same for her. You know, she was you know, so I could, I could very much relate to her in her journey of, and that's sort of why I used, you know, 9-11. And, and, and I should say for, for those who, you know, haven't, haven't read the book, it's a small part of the story. And I really could have said it in any time. And in fact, my real, the real appeal of setting it, it when I said it was because of that sense of before and after. So, you know, really some of the book, takes place when, when they, when they met, when the main characters meet, Cecily meets Grant, it's, it's the summer of 2001, which I mean, I'm sure you feel the same having lived it, but doesn't that feel like this last summer of innocence, like true innocence, you know? Yes. It's like before and after. I mean, I know in a lot of ways we, you know, we recovered, of course, we, life always goes on, we move on. But to me, it's like that summer of 2001 and everything before First of all, it dovetailed with what was happening in my life and my 20s. And so for me personally, that's how I see it. But, you know, when I think back to the places we went, the bars we, you know, we went out to and the whole Sex in the City era, I mean, it was, you know, the Sarah Jessica Parker and the Sex in the City and getting together. I mean, that was all, it all felt changed after 9-11. And it was weird too, because the book came out last June in hardcover. It's out in paperback now, of course, but last summer it came out in in hardcover on June 2nd. And, you know, I didn't know when I was writing the, the book, I think I turned my final pages in to my editor in February 
And I barely heard of, you know, coronavirus or COVID. And although, of course, Black Lives Matter has been something that's like even, you know, building in importance and, you know, something that's been, you know, in our collective consciousness and that we've all been thinking about for years. I mean, it really sort of June, June of last year is when this was really, you know, George Floyd and everything, you know, just the whole world seemed to be changing all at once with, with COVID and you know, worldwide pandemic and, you know, Black Lives Matter and everything else. And so I felt like once again, we were in one of those moments of before and after. Like when you think back to holiday parties in 2019, you know, getting dressed and putting on your heels and your red lipstick and going out without a mask, not, you know, maybe you would see those signs at the airport that said, if you've been to you know, Wuhan, China, like it, it just was so felt so removed from anything, you know, we, we really were thinking about. And now of course, you know, we're coming out of it, but I think we'll always all be able to look at the summer of 2020 and remember what we were doing. And in the sense that Cecily examined her life internally, like this big external thing happened with 9-11, but the book's really more about her internal journey after that. And I think that is so true for all of us. I mean, how many, Zibby, I, I have probably four or five friends who are getting a divorce, which is, you know, very sad that in some ways it's like a fresh start and it's what they should be doing. And it's wonderful news in some ways, but I feel like that happened and things were accelerated, you know, because of, because there was so much, you know, time of self-reflection and internal, you know, inward thinking about, is, is this the life we're meant to be living? And are we happy? And we're happy with our jobs and our careers. And maybe we don't want to be going into work every day and to an office, or maybe we don't like our career at all. Maybe we don't like our spouse or, you know, maybe you're, we want to jettison one of our friends who we thought was a real friend and they're not, you know, being sensitive enough to what was happening with the, the George Floyd moment. Maybe they were trivializing it or maybe they didn't post a black square, or, you know, or we thought that they were blowing things off. I mean, so many different things were happening that, it was the world that the stage that things were happening in, but our lives, I think, changed because of it, because of that internal reflection. But did you did you find that to be true with with uh, friends in your life and people in your life that that a lot of people's lives kind of shifted direction last year, or is that just a coincidence? I don't think it's coincidence. Yeah. I think like all the yeah. data supports that that's happened far and wide in my immediate circle. Not as much, but you know, I found the biggest difference with my own like close girlfriends after 9-11 because like losing right. someone in our core group made all of us like rethink what we were doing, right? Like I was at business school at the time and I thought I would have a marketing career. And I mean, I guess I kind of do in a way because you have to market everything you do <laughs> anyway. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I just, there were just so many parallels and not to like, I mean, that summer before I was in the city, I met this new guy at Tortilla Flats at like two in the morning oh, and yeah. we had like a summer whirlwind romance. And like, I was like, so I was like, oh my gosh, I could have, it could have been like Grant and me in this book. This is crazy. That so, really is And wild. we like whisked off to Rio and like did all these weird things I've never done in the rest of my life. Not that that's weird, but just like spontaneous, yeah. you know? Sure. And then of course life changed the way it did here. And I don't mean to overemphasize this element of your book because, you know, there's right, also right. these like romantic little John say, the John that had first and the dating and, but yeah. all of that stuff, it was like, you know, eating pancakes with Florent in the middle of the night. Anyway, all this stuff was just like <laughs> of, 
so of the moment. I know. And then, yeah, at, we could have been at the same places at the same probably, time. That's crazy. Our paths have probably crossed because there's yeah. so much, although then you left and I came back and then I also did what you did. So after business school, I was like, actually forget it. That's not what I want to do. And I wrote a book and then that book didn't sell. <laughs> I was like, now what? Anyway, I just had like so many things. Of course, I did not go on to write something borrowed. I did not go on to have a, a best-selling, amazing podcast. So <laughs> we're not best-selling, but <laughs> but yeah, things things just tend to, you know, to work out in interesting ways. But that really, it really was a moment. And I love that we shared that and that you shared that with Cecily as you read the book. Were you not to ask your a veiled way of asking your age, but how old were you that summer? <laughs> I'm very open about my age. I'm 44. I'll be 45 okay. in two months. Oh my gosh. I'm going to have to start saying I'm 45. I'm 44 now. So I'm going to just hang my hat on that. Okay. So we're five. So you're born in 77? 76. 76. Okay. The bicentennial year. Yes. I have a little pillow still. Yeah. Oh, very cool. I was, you know, I'm, I'm five years older than you. So I was in the parade, the bicentennial parade oh my gosh. marching with my little red, white, and blue drum and my bunny costume. For some reason I had that, but so yeah, I was turning, so you were 25 about that summer. I was, I was yeah. about to turn 30. So you're about to turn 45. I'm about to turn 50 next year. And I'm here to say, don't worry about anything until you're 48. <laughs> That's the real moment. You still have like a window. And oh it's like you you fall off the cliff after that. So. I just read like this morning, there's a new book coming out in January called Midlife Bites, like a plan oh. reality bites yeah, yeah. by Jen Mann, who wrote, I just like people I want to punch in the throat. Anyway, it's all about <laughs> like what to expect in like the most sort of irreverent way. And I was like, oh, okay, thank you. For, yeah. I'm now warned of everything. Oh, some has already started, some has not, but thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, I feel like <laughs> there's not a lot of, you know, there needs to be more solidarity as we all say. I know, I know. You know I take great comfort in certain, I mean, I think we all, depending on our age, have certain celebrities that we kind of look to and be like, it's all going to be okay. Because Jennifer Aniston turned 50, Right. And exactly. she's happy, yeah. you know, and she looks great. Yeah. So there's always still hope. Paulina Porskova, she's like in her bathing yeah. suit all the time. Look at her. I know. Not that, we, not that I looked like her before, but somehow yeah. when I get that age, I'm going to turn into her. <laughs> oh my gosh. I wish. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, the part of your story though, is, that I really, that really struck me is you're like, okay, well then my book didn't sell. So I decided to write another one. Like, I was not as brave and did not, I actually ended up ghostwriting a book after that. Cause I was like, okay, well that's fine. Then I'll write, but I don't have to like put my heart on the line again. How did you like steal yourself? And how do you even maybe, you know, how do you, where did you find that yeah. determination? I guess. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. You, you characterize it as brave. And I really think that that's, <laughs> I don't think that's a fair characterization because it was really more about how much how much did, did I hate what I was doing versus how much did you hate what you were doing? <laughs> Sometimes like misery can be really, you know, motivating. It's almost like the people who, you know, if you leave a relationship where the guy's like cheating on you left and right, and he's terrible and he makes you miserable and he degrades you and like, yeah, that's like great that you liberate yourself from that. And it's great if you liberate yourself from a job where you're really miserable, like that still, you know, requires some level of gumption. But I think the real kind of bravery is when you leave those just good enough situations 
you know, when you're getting a really nice paycheck and you don't hate what you're doing, like, but you also don't feel super fulfilled or you're with a guy who's like perfectly nice and great on paper, but you don't, you know, feel necessarily in love and but you feel like you're at the right age and you get married anyway. I think the people who walk away from those careers and those relationships are really are really the brave ones compared to, you know, what I was doing at the time. But, you know, it did, I, I will, I will, I will own that it did take a certain amount of determination. So, and, you know, and a certain amount of, you know, I guess like having some faith in myself and, you know, I'm, and I'm grateful looking back that I had that like, you know, disappointment, crushing disappointment really of working for something for five years and getting an agent, which they always say is, the hard part, you know, well, they, they say like, Oh, if you get an agent, like you're in really good shape to get published. Well, I got an agent and, and it wasn't published, but I'm grateful now for that because I feel that I appreciated it so much more when it did happen Mm -hmm. with something borrowed. And also, you know, as a parent, you have three children, they're teenagers. Now they were, my twin sons were born in New Year's Eve 03. So just six months before something borrowed came out. And then my daughter's, you know, a few years younger than that, but you have that built-in story of, you know, the disappointments that have come along the way. And the older you get, the greater the disappointments in some way. I mean, I guess it's all relative. I remember my son, George had an own goal in soccer and he was so happy because he thought he had like scored a goal for his team. And and it's sinking realization that it was an own goal and oh my gosh. And, you know, he's like, I've never felt worse in my whole life and I'll never get over it. And I'm like, yes, you will. You will, you will get over it. Like, but it was a good reminder to me as a mother that things are so relative. Okay. We can't bubble wrap our kids to keep them safe, but we can give ourselves some peace of mind now with the Life360 app, which I am obsessed with. I first heard about this from a girlfriend at a party who told me that this was the app to use. So I got it. And now I am obsessed. It's a family connection and safety app that lets you track the people and things that are most important to you. And it's much more than sharing location. It is about safety. It keeps families connected and protected throughout the day. Plus, it helps you find your things. So I have tiles, one of which I put on my phone, which I lose 100 times a day, and I can find it through the app whenever I lose it. Also, it lets me put in locations of interest. So I get alerts when my kids reach school after taking the bus or when my husband gets to LA or whoever you want to track. You can do it with Life360 and feel very protected and safe and it makes life better. It makes peace of mind better. Life 360 has my family's back when they're on the road, and I can track their stuff too if I need to. Plus, of course, it's a lifeline during emergencies because you can have crash detection to know if one of the kids is in an accident and with two almost driver's license kids, that is super important to me too. So put away the bubble wrap and protect your loved ones with Life 360. Visit life360.com or download the app today and use code BOOKS, B-O-O-K-S, all caps, to get one month of the gold package for free, plus 15% off all tiles. That's life360.com, code BOOKS. Totally. I also have twins, by the way. I'm just going to like copy your life here. I have twins. They were born in 2007, and then I waited six years, had sort of, I mean, 
she waited six years to show up. Then I had a daughter and then another son after that, 17 months later. That's awesome. I love that. Yeah. So I'm well aware of like the value of all of my failures. 2007 was what what month were your twins? June. They just turned 14. Okay. Right. My daughter, Harriet just turned 14 in May. Oh, okay. So we were, we were pregnant at the same time. We should get them together. I have it was a really just, cute I know. son. <laughs> I know. Oh, he, okay. Right. So he's okay. And Harriet's well, I shouldn't say anything about. I've made an effort not to say anything about their personal lives. I know. I that they're teenagers, say, but I think, I, suppose, I think everybody thinks their son and daughters are cute. So I'll just leave yeah, that. yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I think we should introduce him. Is he on Instagram? Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. Okay. okay. We'll have to do this privately because yeah. I never yeah, yeah, like yeah. tag him or anything. <laughs> yeah. So the book that I wrote right after 9-11 was very similar sort of to this, although not as interesting a plot, but it was about like a, a couple that sort of gets together on the, with 9-11 sort of at the centerpiece of it. And I did get an agent like you and we sent it out. Although in retrospect, if I could like go back to myself and, well, first of all, I don't think the book was good enough. But I would have sent it out to more people because a lot of the agents, a lot of the publishers at the time said that it was too soon, that nobody wanted to read about 9-11 in fiction. And now I'm like, okay, 20 years later, I'm reading your book, which is amazing. And I'm totally ready to read about it in fiction. And now I actually have a memoir coming out next September or a year from September called The Book Messenger. And I just like finished writing like all of the stuff that happened to me at this time. So I'm like, oh my gosh, it's like the real That is wild. I love that. Anyway, I'll have to send it to you. Well, would you would you ever, you know, pull that manuscript out and work on and and, and resubmit it? You know what? I included, I feel like enough of the pieces oh. that were at the center. Well, I turned it into a novel. I wrote it like four times. This, I shouldn't make this about yeah. me, but anyway, I wrote that no, book. No, no, like, no. I'm, <laughs> I wrote sure, that book like sure. four times. I wrote it first as a memoir and then I wrote two separate drafts of it as a novel. And I've tried that actually. I ended up like getting married. I got divorced. I started a new relationship who I then remarried this guy. So then I wrote another memoir that I turned into a novel called 40 Love about finding love again at 40. Both of those like didn't did you re- work. Wait, did you remarry the same guy? No, I remarried a new guy. Oh, okay. I, I have a Carrie has a friend who's, who's, whose mother got a divorce and then married the same no, guy. So I, I married a new guy. Not, I mean, okay. I remarried in general. Anyway, point is I've, I keep trying to like turn memoir into novels to like disguise things, but <laughs> it's not working. I am just like not writing fiction. I just am not, I'm just much better at writing real, real life. <laughs> you know, well, stuff. for now, you never know though. For now. I mean, well, I, yeah, take, I you could take some of those parts of the, that, that didn't deal with 9-11 and rework it into a novel. I think yes, that's that would be. Anyway, yeah. all to say, I took bits and pieces of both of those abandoned projects and threw them into my memoir. So for the parts that were true. So we'll see. So well, here's another, here's another similarity and something that I, I don't think I've ever talked about this in an interview ever and in whatever, this is 15 years, but I got a divorce too, after a year of marriage. No way. Fun fact. So we have, we have that in common too. Oh this my is gosh. Crazy. What else? Are you a Leo? <laughs> no Pisces. Okay. All right. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> Summer camp. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we could go there. We, we could, could work there. on okay. that. Yeah. We can take it offline. Maybe we could write a novel together about summer camp, and you could. I'd be the counselor since I'm five years older. And, Perfect. You know, yeah. I'll be the camper crying and wanting to go home. Yeah. <laughs> Same. Eating too many cookies. Like, Perpetually homesick. Oh my gosh! I was just saying because my kids are not going to sleep camp this summer, and they're all going to be at, like day camps and counselors and stuff. 
that I got like so sad my first summer at sleepaway camp because I was eight years old and I went away for eight weeks and that was like not good for my personality in any way. And I learned how to make <laughs> butter and sugar sandwiches. So I would take the like white springy wonder bread and like put all this butter on and then slather on the sugar and I can like still feel the like crystals of sugar. Anyway, that's how I got through sleepaway camp. <laughs> That sounds so incredibly comforting. It was. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> so who wrote that book? I can't think of her name. Quiet about introverts. Susan. Susan. Payne, maybe? Susan. Yeah, Payne. yeah. I think that sounds right. Susan, one syllable last name. And if you haven't, if, our, if your listeners haven't read that, definitely pick it up. But also she had, she does a podcast or TED Talk about it. So sort of condensed version. But in that, she talks about summer camp and how some kids are just not meant for summer camp. And I was not meant for it. And I, that's why I've never, you know, my daughter Harriet's at camp today, but it's like day camp, you know, she Me comes too. home yeah. at night, and yeah. gets in her own bed. And are you an introvert? I am not. I, okay. I think <laughs> I am an extrovert, but I have a lot of social anxiety or I used to at least. So I, I've been very shy my whole life until now, I guess, but, but I like to be around people like but then I do need to regroup. I don't know. I feel like I'm, I don't have a clear cut answer. Maybe I, keep in taking, the middle. I keep taking quizzes and it's not clear. <laughs> How about you? you know, I mean, I guess there has to be someone that's truly right smack dab in the middle. So maybe that's you, but I do think like I've described myself as a, a socially adept introvert. Like I've hopefully for the most part, I'm socially adept, but um, I feel like I can fake it really well. And so people sometimes are like, "How you're not an introvert, you know? you're talkative. I'm like, that's not the definition of an introvert. Right. So maybe it should come down to, do you like summer camp? <laughs> you, <laughs> maybe it should come down to that. But yeah, I was like, I like was reading the whole time at summer camp. I mean, maybe, yes. I mean, I have a lot of like independent tendencies. Like I love yes. to read. I love to write. I would be fine spending the entire day by myself. Like, okay. I, you're an introvert. Zibby, for real, like you have to watch this, either read quiet or watch her Ted talk. And I think right, there's a whole on. section on that. Okay. When you were growing up, did you like the project, the group projects? Hate. Hated, right? Hated Same. group projects. Hate. Yeah. You're an introvert. Yeah. You're just yeah. fooling yourself because you can go <laughs> out, you can go out and like have a good time and be social. And, but that's not what the definition is. It's, it's more about, well, just I'll, I'll do more research on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then come back to me. Yeah. Because I like to think of you as a, as a kindred spirit on yeah. this one. I mean, I definitely, you know, now that there are like things opening up, I'm not like, oh, thank God. You know, I'm like, oh, oh no. really? Oh, no. Do I need to do that? Like how many of these things no. do I need to do? I like, I, to, I like to plan it. Like if I'm the one, I like to throw parties. I like to be in control of everything. I like to be like, okay, come at 12, but leave it to you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's enough for me. <laughs> So maybe you're right. Do you, now that I think about debate, it. do you debate ever? Well, maybe two thirty. Of course, do I debate ever? Yeah. I did this two, literally yesterday for my daughter's birthday Three. party. I'm like, <laughs> Same with my daughter. Okay, so she's like, "It's not your birthday party. You don't have to do anything anymore." I'm 14, and I'm like, "Well, still, there's going to be parent pickup." Yeah, and I have to know, like, you know, what's the window and how much small talk will there need to be? So yeah, that's that's uh, very interesting. Yeah, but the. I, the pandemic in that way, I mean, I feel, I, I feel guilty saying it. I mean, I want to make it clear, like there's no, nothing good about what we've all been through, but there have been some silver linings, I guess you could say. And I think one of them for me has been that time where you don't have to do those things and you can read more and you can think more and, you know, and I don't know about you, but just 
we, we never really, we had dinner together as a family loosely, but it was more like standing around the kitchen counter and like, you know, serving yourself and maybe three people were sitting down and someone else was off at a piano lesson or, and since really since the spring of last year, we, we eat dinner together as family, you know, five days a week. And so that's all for, in our case was just pretty much all pandemic driven, all COVID driven. So, yeah, I mean, obviously I would gladly give up all the family dinners to have all those, you know, people not have had to suffer the way they have, but there have been some silver linings and I'm not looking forward to this fall of like the full on return to, to all of it. My husband's mother and grandmother passed away from COVID and we were like in charge of their care. And it was like, his mother had this six week protracted horrific illness. And anyway, it was awful. And then of course you like finish all that. And we were still in the middle of the pandemic, you know? So Anyway, but not to say, I know now I'm like spilling yeah. my life story. I feel so bad. I, I should like no. not even be recording this. It's like a conversation just between the two of us, but yeah. No. But anyway, but yes, I still feel the same as you do. Like there were benefits to sort of taking up time out from life for everybody on the planet. Like how right, could you not right. be, especially for people who are like happy to think things through and like regroup and figure out what's important and what gives our lives purpose and meaning. And I don't know, I started like driving my little guys to school and like doing like the school drop-off recently. And I was just like, this is what I'm so excited about. This is back to normal. Like what, why I miss this. This is terrible. Like, <laughs> like, is this all there is now that life is back that I have to cross this park like a thousand more times this year? I don't know. It's like, it makes you wonder. No, I know. Have you read Amanda Klute's book yet? I'm interviewing her tomorrow on Instagram. Oh, Live. you are? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> it's today, Wednesday. Okay. Yeah. Tomorrow at like oh, five wow. or six or something. How about you? Did you yeah. read it? Uh, I'm, I'm in the middle of reading it. I just, I just got it. So I'm, uh, I, I adore her and talk about finding the silver linings and, and the positive and she and her sister are just both so amazing and such an inspiration. So yeah, I mean, for her to be able to, well, for you to have lost people and for her to be able to say, you know, that there were, there were moments of beauty over the past years. Like really, it says a lot about how strong, that's how strong you guys are. Well, I'm but yeah, she's 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 amazing. So that's going to be a great interview. I'm excited for you to. Yeah, I'm excited for that too. Anyway, back to your career yeah. and everything. So, what yeah. are you working on next? What what books do you yeah. have in the pipeline? Like, what are you excited about? Well, let's see. The Lies of Vine is actually we're working on making that into a, a limited series. Nice. So nice. with the same producers who who did something borrowed, Molly and Rachel Smith. Black Label Media. So we have an actress and I guess for some reason, it's not time to announce that yet, but um, an actress I think is wonderful and will really nail Cecily. So really excited about that and just kind of putting some of the pieces of it together. And so that's, that's one thing, you know, that project and there's a few other sort of film and TV things I'm working on, but for the most part, I'm always most focused, you know, other than, than my motherhood sort of duties and that part of my life, my, my main focus is always just the next novel. You know, I, I really admire these authors who are able to write their book and adapt something that they wrote before and, you know, be, have sort of one hand in, in LA and be working that. But I'm more like calling my producer, the, the producers and my friends and saying like, what have you guys done? <laughs> like, what's the next step? For me, that's, you know, I, I just prefer maybe again, it's that introvert piece, but just working on my next novel. So I'm, you know, that's what I'm mostly doing is writing right now. And that'll be due in the fall and the book will come out 
next summer. It's a relationship-driven story, as all of mine are, about the messiness of relationships and you know, finding yourself as you fall in love and fall out of love and fall back in love. And so a lot of those themes are, you know, ones that I often explore along with, you know, this idea of forgiveness and forgiving ourselves and forgiving others. And that we're all, you know, the characters and the lies that bind, of course, did some things that some, some people can't forgive them for. Some readers are, you know, saying, oh, I couldn't stand, like, I didn't, I didn't like, him or her at the end. And, you know, that's always, I know a a risk that I'm taking with this kind of stories that I tell and the the situations that I put my characters in. I feel that they're good people and that they're, you know, they make unsympathetic choices at times, but I think they've all are like good people at heart, which I really is how I think of people, all of us, you know, like if you, if you line up all of our choices that we've made, I mean, there's some really you know, unsympathetic ones and are times that we needed to be forgiven and other times are we forgiving others and think that's sort of the journey of, of what it's all about. This life is just so, you know, messy and complicated and, you know, we're all sort of these works in progress. So those are always, you know, the things I like to explore with my characters, even at the risk of sometimes making them unlikable. But the way I see it is if I could write a story about a girl falling in love with her best friend's fiance and having an affair with him in the months leading up to a wedding and having the groom-to-be have an affair with his, you know, fiance's best friend. And I can make people like them more than they liked the bride-to-be, then, I, you know, I'm always hopeful that there's there's help for 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 all of us and any one of my characters. <laughs> so that's, <laughs> that's always in the back of my mind. I mean, people forgave Rachel, so... It surprises, it always surprises me though, what people are more judgmental about, you know, readers and people in real life, you know, my sister and my mother and my friends and and I are harsher critics about. And the two books that I wrote where I feel like they were the very harshest about my heroines were Baby Proof, where the first line of that book is, I never wanted to be a mother. And I remember, you know, that book came out and 2007 when my, or yeah, 2007 when my daughter was born. So I had three under three and, you know, it begs the question, <laughs> why was I writing about a woman who didn't want to be a mother? Right. <laughs> Cause I could certainly relate to the, the value of having a child free life rather than a childless life. But no, my, I remember my editor saying, you cannot make Claudia, you know, you cannot redeem her past after that first sentence, if I never wanted to be a mother, like she's, she's unlikable from the, out of the gate. I'm like, well, you know, that's what the story is about. And I'm going to try to make her, you know, likable. But that to me was so interesting and said so much about sort of the last taboo, not to talk about a book that came out in 2007, but I am working on the film version of that with some friends. And I think that's changing a little bit, how we, how we view that statement and our reaction to that statement. But I, I think in many ways we still have that sort of bias against women who feel that way. And it's like one thing if you can't have them, right? And then you're sort of like this object of, oh, you know, she wasn't able to, she did in vitro five times, didn't work out. And But the women who are just like, no, not interested, I feel like we're still judging them more harshly. But to think that that woman could have been judged more harshly than a woman who's <laughs> having an affair behind her best friend's back, I don't know, it was, that was interesting. And the other one was a girl who fell in love with her best friend's father, 
just like, but there was no infidelity in that book because the mother had died, but people were like, oh, that's so gross. You know, they're 20 years age difference or whatever. And that one surprised me too. But that to me is really the fun as an author and in many ways, like other than just like creating this world, this fictional world where you don't have to do an end time. You don't have to say 12 to two, Zibby. You just... (laughs) Close your laptop and you're done with them for the day. <laughs> you don't have to do the endless goodbyes and okay, well, it's good seeing you. You just close the laptop. Yeah. But the other, I think, really fun part about uh, writing for me is that that whole thing of like, life is messy. Let's explore it. Maybe they won't be redeemed in the eyes of all readers, but hopefully at the very least, I'm able to make people see their point of view a little more, which I think like it all comes down to that, right? I mean, empathy in, in, in life and, and, in fiction is just sort of like seeing things from another point of view. So, so yeah. Awesome. Well, first, nobody knows what people are really going through. I mean, in your right. life, right. You can only judge no, on sure. the surface. Okay. What last question, because okay. I could like continue this for way too long. What advice would you have for aspiring authors? Okay. So one thing that I hear a lot of writers say is like, I'm an aspiring writer. And I'm glad that you said aspiring author, because if you're writing at all, you're already a writer, you know? And so I think it's important to remember that getting published is sort of, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of like dumb luck involved with that. You know, it's, you've, we've all read books that we think are terrible or that we didn't like. And for every one of those books, there's this like sparkling near perfect manuscript that just never saw the light of day because, you know, maybe the editor who read it had already bought something like that the, you know, a month before, and she didn't want two books about a cheating fiance or, you know, and, and the, the person gave up or they got married and had a kid and they didn't, you know, return to it or something, you know, there's just so many, I guess what I'm saying is, you know, if you're rejected along the way, you're still a writer, what your voice is still valid and important. And, you know, if it's important to you to get published, like pursue it, like continue it, like be dogged about it. Like the people who run a marathon, you know, if we lined up our friends, I've never run a marathon. Zibby, have you? Okay, good. Another thing I was like, few, please say no, please no. say no. no, no, but you know, some, some of our friends who have run a marathon aren't necessarily the most like athletic, you know, or the most, right. you know, but they do it because they decide to do it. So I feel like that analogy is important. Like if you really want to publish, just stay after it and believe in yourself and don't let your sort of identity turn on these artificial answers that you're getting from other people, because it's not, it's not like, they're not, they're not turning you down and they're not even turning like your writing down. They're just saying, this isn't, this isn't commercially viable for me this week. You know, it's really, I think that's important to, to remember that for, for those that, for those who want to be published. And there's so many writers out there who that's not terribly important, you know, to, to get that, you know, the validation or the, or to share the story with the world and they're doing it for themselves. So I would say that's probably my biggest piece of advice to just to believe in yourself and keep writing and do what you love, you know, no matter what that is, but like you're doing, Zivian, and I cannot wait for your, your book. Oh, thank you. I'm so excited. Oh my gosh. I just recently, this is my last thing and I'll let you go, but I just joined Noom, the like weight loss app. I don't know if you've heard of it. I oh just, yeah, of course. Anyway, whatever. Yeah. I just, I like decided to try it. Anyway, they said like the number one predictor of whether or not it would work for you is if you believe it will work for you. Oh, and wow. I was like, and that's it. That's all you have to do is believe it. And how easy is that? So I felt like that was so applicable to writing. 
I mean, yes. if you believe at one point you are going to publish your book, yes. you probably will. Like you, yes. but you have to yes. believe it. And if you don't, then forget it. So, then you probably won't. Then you almost maybe, definitely won't. Like yeah, if you, you don't believe it. Won't. You, you might, you might. You might. Because I don't know that I believed that I would publish something burned, but, but I hoped and occasionally believed it, which might be good enough. Like, it's, yes. yes. Yeah. Well, you believed, you believed you would write something that was worth seeing. Cause that's why, like, you just knew it like on some level, on but some now level. I have to check out noon too for this. Uh, noon is great. Yeah. I don't noon, know. I just, noon. it's been five days, but so far so yeah. good. So but this, the, the, the pandemic, maybe it's also just like the amount of wine that I've consumed in the past year is maybe if I just quit with that, that yeah. would be a great start. <laughs> that's why I, that's why I started do, moms don't have time to lose weight. Cause I had like all this pandemic weight and I was like, I can't be the only one. Am I? <laughs> Turns out, no. No, <laughs> anyway. you're not. Um, uh, anyway, but, uh, all right. Well, this was yeah. so fun. Thank you. I, like, I just like hung out with a new friend or whatever. But uh, um, I know, I feel the same. So um, you're, you can be my mentee since you're five years younger. I will gladly be your mentee. <laughs> you can show me the ropes. I would love it. I'm totally kidding. <laughs> I can get, learn so much more from you. But no, so. um, thank you so much for having me on. I enjoyed it so much. And tell Amanda I said hi. I will. Okay. Tomorrow. All right. Okay. okay. Thanks, Bye. Debbie. Bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music.